welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. As planners have had to cancel face-to-face gatherings of all sizes, virtual meetings have become a vital alternative. But for those who have mostly focused on live events, it's become clear that the rules for engaging attendees at an in-person gathering don't necessarily apply when everyone moves online. North Star Meetings Group recently hosted a webcast on welcoming the virtual attendee. It featured a pair of presenters with a wealth of experience planning virtual and hybrid events for groups of all sizes. I'm Alex Palmer, Deputy Editor of North Star Meetings Group, and for this episode of Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals, we're bringing you highlights from that webcast. You'll hear from Elise Keith, co-founder and CEO of Lucid Meetings and Meeting School, and the author of Where the Action Is, The Meetings That Make or Break Your Organization, as well as Nancy Settle-Murphy, president of meeting facilitation company Gilded Insights and author of Leading Effective Virtual Teams. Together, they offer some valuable insights about how to host a virtual event and common mistakes made when moving to a digital format. The full version of the webcast, along with other North Star webcasts, both live and on demand, can be found at northstarmeetingsgroup.com backslash webcasts. Hi there, uh, this is Elise Keith talking. Thank you all so very much for joining us. We're going to uh, dive right into our plan for today. Okay, and it looks like the vast majority of people here are meeting planners with your organization and then another big batch of folks who are meeting planners for external clients. Excellent. It's wonderful that you can all be here today. Now, your worlds have changed. Type in the chat an answer to this question. What are you more grateful for today than you were a year ago? Now, I've asked this question uh, in webinars recently, and I've seen a heck of a lot of flowers outside the window I see Zoom, I see having a job, health, oh, family. Oh, wow, (laughs) look at all of this gratitude pouring in. This is amazing. Uh, Experience and opportunity to work with other people. Fabulous. Uh, Netflix. Netflix has been a huge source of uh, gratitude to lots of folks. Wonderful. Now, continue to go ahead as we are working through to add your comments and your ideas in the chat. We're going to dive into the content now. And then when you have questions, there is a Q&A function. You can add your Q&A questions in there, and we will answer them as we go. All right. So these are a couple of light ways to engage folks, and that's super useful to do because we find that in the research that people rate meetings highly when they find the content is relevant and meets their expectations and when they have an opportunity to participate. They have to actively participate in some way and you wanna do that as early as possible in your events. The other thing that causes people to rate a meeting highly of any kind is whether they take value away. So whether they are getting something in return for the time that they have invested there. And in both cases, you're most likely to get that kind of investment and return when you increase engagement. And I think it's important to stop and talk about what we mean by engagement with this little sort of spectrum. So often when we do events like webinars, what we're looking for is something like attentive. We want people to pay attention. And that's 
that's lovely, but that's a really a lower form of engagement. So if you want people to be highly satisfied with your events, you want to actually move them up to higher levels of engagement. So participating, contributing, and owning their own results. And we invite you to own the success of this event with your contributions today as well. So there are five basic steps to getting that kind of engagement. Right up front, you want to define the kind of engagement you're looking for, and we're going to talk about many ways to do that. Then you need to explicitly pause and ask for it, as we have just done in the chat and the poll. Make space, take pauses, give people time to get, give you that engagement, say thank you, and then use that engagement to go ahead and drive forward what you do next. Excellent. So with that very, very brief frame setting for what we're talking about here as both science and practice of engagement, let's move on. All right, Nancy, take it away. First of all, hello everyone and thank you for being here. This is uh, such a wonderful participation. So first scenario, as Elise mentioned, we designed this back in the olden days when people could actually convene in one room. So this scenario, it's a two-day conference with over 50 people in one rather cavernous, it's either conference center or hotel room, multiple organizations, and they're here to collaborate and brainstorm ways to persuade people to use alternative energy solutions. So everyone's coming, except for a few key people who cannot attend. They, they can attend, but they must do it from a distance. So our goal here is to integrate those relatively few remote participants into the larger group conversation, which is meant to be very dynamic and active. So one of the first steps is to know what level of interaction your remote folks will need. Do they really need to be there all two days? Maybe not. And what kind of technology is available both within the conference center or hotel room as well as from the remote perspective? So the first thing to get right is the audio. Because if people can't hear, then you've got nothing. Then all the visuals in the world won't matter. So the conference room configuration can make a big difference, whether it's rectangular, whether it's long and narrow, whether it's got good acoustics, whether it's got a really noisy room next to it. So pay attention to that um, as much as you can in advance. The quality and placement of speakers and mics. Now, I work in conference centers and hotel rooms that have these really cool drop-down mics and speakers where people can hear, remote people can hear from anywhere. Um, that is not the norm in my experience yet. So oftentimes we're left to use speaker phones that are maybe amplified by a, a portable speaker or the room speaker. But do think about where to place the mics and speakers so that your remote folks and the people in the room have the best chance of hearing each other. Test the sound in advance. Do not wait until the meeting starts, but do test it from the room where you're going to be holding the conference with the people who are going to be participating remotely, or at least a representative sampling, because you may need to find you have to adjust the speakers or do some other work to um, get the best sound. Then during the meeting, every so often, pause to ask if people can hear the remote participants and if the remote participants can hear the people in the room. 
I always think it's a good idea up front before the meeting or at the start of the meeting to remind people in the room, especially to keep their comments crisp and clear and audible so that the remote people have the best chance of hearing them. But even so, whoever's presenting or moderating or facilitating will need to repeat the questions that are asked in the, from the people in the room, as well as people on the phone or on video, whatever they're using, um, so that everyone can hear each other. And also, paraphrasing can help some people like to use a lot of words when they only need three or four. So perhaps the presenter or moderator can also paraphrase. And then finally, identify who's speaking. And that applies to people in the room and people who are remote as well, especially if they don't have video. Um, and I just wanna pause just a minute and ask Alex, are there any questions or chats that have come in that we should be aware of before I go to the next? Yeah, one of the, the followers was asking if scenario one only includes remote attendees or if that uh, includes remote presenters as well. Oh, that's a really good point. I was For this scenario, I had in mind that it was remote participants, that it was not going to be remote presenters. Um, I think... Hmm. I think some of the same would, rules might apply. Um, I think it's a more challenging scenario when you have the remote presenter. You definitely need that sound right, and you need to have them visible somehow, preferably on a big screen. But this was more meant for the, the participants, so great question. So next part is make everything visible to everyone, no matter where they're participating from. So. One thing it's easy to lose sight of is making sure the remote folks can see what's in the room. So this isn't just to see what who's speaking, but it's if there's wall charting being done or post-its or dot voting or someone gets up and does a funny dance or something. Let, let remote people in on the jokes or on what's going on in the room. And that could be via video, ideally. And short of that, through digital photographs, through still photographs that you send every once in a while to remote folks. And then on the flip side, keep your remote attendees in the mind's eye of everyone in the meeting. That could be done if you're using Zoom or it could be Microsoft Teams or Skype or whatever video you might have. It's really nice if you can project the people who are not there somewhere very visible front and center in the room so people really have a good visual reminder that they're there. Uh, making sure that people have sufficient bandwidth, uh, especially for video, and this applies to people in the room and people remotely. Oftentimes, and you probably are finding this now, given that everybody's home these days, including kids and partners and everyone's competing for bandwidth, um, so you might find that in, in any given setting, the bandwidth can be challenging, in which case you may need to suggest to people at some points, either um, remote or in person, that they may turn off the video for a little bit while, uh, for a little while especially if the um, performance is kind of herky-jerky or slow. And then finally, for the folks in the room, Use If you're going to be using applications, like if you're using Google Docs to all type in your brainstormed ideas, make sure that whatever apps you choose to as, as much as possible can be used and seen by people from wherever they are so that they can also participate locally. 
because I think that's that's important an important way to make them feel like they're there as well. Okay, keeping everyone engaged and balancing participation. This is pretty much one of the toughest things, I think, um, especially when there are just a few remote attendees and it's a, a very collaborative, intensely interactive session for the people in the room. So a few tips. Um, use both verbal and written communication. So allow people remotely, as well as people in the room, to some degree, to um, use written communication. So that might mean, just like you're doing here, chop it, uh, typing in the chat, doing polls, uh, participating in, in a Q&A. So allow them a couple ways to communicate. Call on remote people first. If you always make that your default, you'll never forget them. And they will feel so much more welcome than if they're the last to be asked or inadvertently skipped over. Now, in a session like this, where they're going to be doing some brainstorming, oftentimes that might be done in small groups and breakouts, especially if you've got two full days. So this is one way that you can fairly easily include remote folks, and I, I do this often, is assign each, one remote person to each breakout and have someone who's at the table just use their cell phone or other device and either call the participant or have them call in, and they'll just be one of the other voices at the table. The other option, depending on the number of remote folks you have, is to assign them their own breakout, and they can convene, and they can all, everyone comes back together as uh, to debrief. And I think it's important as well to have some notes, a note taker, let's say in each breakout, and so that everyone, no matter if they're in person or remotely, can see all of the notes appear in some shared screen somewhere. Um, social media, we see that more and more, and I bet you do too, creating a unique uh, Twitter handle for certain events. Um, maybe it's uh, Facebook Live. There, there are lots of ways to do that. And then digital polling. Um, we're, we're not going to go into brand names here, but there are many, many free ones too, ways to have people poll from whatever device they're using. Um, and that can be, and then everyone can see the results at the same time. A few, couple other tips. Send all content to remote people in advance because there will be glitches. There are, or if there aren't, at least you need to prepare for the plan B. So whatever content you might think you'd be sharing in the room with them, just make sure people have it locally as well. Um, and then finally, adjust your agenda to minimize the time remote people have to be there. Honestly, no one wants to be there for two full days. Um, it's a real drain on people in the room to have to accommodate remote people, and it's a real drain on remote people to have to try to keep up with and lean on and in and find every word people are saying in the room. So be very thoughtful about when you really need the remote people there. It probably is not all two full days. And yeah, Nancy, I, someone brought up the question, uh, oh, sorry, but, but uh, no, about ensuring, yeah, for, for accessibility questions, like folks with, you know, with ASL needs or that sort of thing, too. How do you get your technology to address those issues? That is a great question that I don't have a very easy answer for, I, I must I say. Do. Great. I have, some, I have some background on this one. So there are technologies that are designed um, with accessibility needs uh, in place from a online meeting perspective, Zoom has some support, WebEx is better uh, that way. And um, what you would want to look at is is groups like um, 
there are there are accessibility focus groups and i will remember the name of them and put them in the chat <laughs> right as soon as i can remember it to help you understand some of what the different tools are but you're looking things for like things that uh, closed captioning so how as jennifer mentioned um, often providing a text-based way to interact in addition to any sort of visual audio the teams out there have great lists of things that work better in different situations because there are all kinds of accessibility needs that are beyond um, just, you know, visual impairments. So I'll put in a link to that group momentarily. Thank great. you. Okay, let's go to some tips for this scenario. Um, above all, make sure not to ignore or forget about remote participants. Uh, don't assume that remote participants can see and hear everything just fine, just because they could in the morning of day one. You need to check that frequently. Don't assume that remote people don't have anything to say just because you can't hear them. So to remember to refer to them and to ask them questions. And finally, don't forget to narrate the mood and climate and energy in a room because those are things that can't easily be heard or even seen if you're on video. So if there's like a pregnant pause or if there's a lot of tension or laughter, uh, let remote people know. So have someone do kind of a running narrative, whether it's the presenter or someone else. But that's that helps make them feel like they're part of the group. All right, folks, quick uh, little checkpoint. So we have talked already about the science of engagement and we've been doing some engagement. Love seeing all the questions in the chat. We've covered a couple of scenarios now. I want you to pull out from both of the scenarios we've covered already, the things that will apply to your all virtual events because there were lessons in there that will apply equally to these new events as well. And now we're gonna talk about an all remote event. And the folks who had the event that we're gonna talk about here are facing, faced a situation very much like the one that you are facing. So it was a national conference of educators um, in Sweden. And normally in that country, they would bring everybody together to Stockholm to have their big conference all in one place. But the government and the educators all decided that uh, that wasn't gonna work you know, it was it was too expensive on climate and they had too many travel bans going on for budgetary and climate reasons. So they decided instead to take their event entirely 100% online. This is an educational conference. So it was a mix of research presentations, um, definitely some networking events and then some task force working sessions. So things that they're actually trying to do as a community to advance their work forward. Uh, and their goal was to achieve equivalent or better results. So, and in, and in their results, they're talking about uh, in attendance and also employee satisfaction, or not employee satisfaction, but attendee satisfaction after the event, um, as they would have for their in-person event. So let's talk about what they did and uh, how that worked out. So the first thing to do, and this is coming up in all of the comments and the questions, is they, they changed their shopping list. So the budget that they would have spent on venues and snacks and um, meals and uh, decorations and signage and all of that budget turned into budget for technology, although not as much as you would think. Virtual facilitators, so they hired people with specialized skills that were used to working in this environment and then both video and text-based technology for every session. So that was their shopping list. 
And then with those things in place, what did they do? Well, before an all virtual event and before every all virtual event, they were very clear on the tech instructions and um, sending those to everybody involved. So they set up a special website that not only told people the marketing information about the event and the schedule and whatnot, but also gave them detailed information about how they could get connected and an opportunity to go ahead and log in and try things out in advance. So they held a couple of experimental Zoom calls where people who were coming to the event could chop on and make sure that their computers worked. Um, they also increased the number of attendee and host tests they did. So the presenters who were used to presenting physically all got practice sessions in advance. So there was more prep in advance. They also in advance worked to enable online networking. So there are a lot of different technologies that you can do for this. Um, and what they did is they set up a place where people did basically introductory pre-work. Uh, so people were able to log in, say they were coming at a picture and then talk about the things that they were interested in discussing when they came to the event. And all of this worked very much like, um, like social networking that you may have been used to in other venues, but for this event specifically. So that got everybody engaged and working on the event in advance. During the event, they ran the virtual event very much like you do an in-person con conference. There were multiple tracks and multiple ways to interact. So they set up and they used, in this case, they used Zoom. Um, and when it was a presentation, uh, like a like a keynote or uh, a white paper presentation, they use the webinar features. And the webinar features um, keep it, they're very much like what we have today. People can chat, but you're not having audio interruptions from the audience and, and you get to stay focused on what's happening in the session. Then they ran for their workshops and their breakouts, they used meeting features, which allowed the people running those sessions to do things like virtual breakout rooms, uh, video, uh, more interactive kinds of ways of engaging. Something they set up that I thought was really smart was a virtual help desk. So this was a dedicated online meeting room that was just open all day. And for the first thing in the morning, they had it open from 7 to 8 a.m. on the opening day of the conference as a virtual mingle. So anybody who was coming to the conference could come in and just say hi to everybody else who was there, check their video, check their sound. Um, and any time during the event that they needed help, they could go and drop into that video conference room and talk to a real live person, just like you would if you went up to the conference desk in an in-person event. They kept their networking events by scheduling themed breaks and lunches. One thing they found um, that was incredibly useful and surprisingly better attended than when you have your live events were their um, lunch break yoga sessions. It turns out that when everybody's at home and their yoga pants are handy, they were able to go ahead and broadcast a, a yoga break in the middle of the day and people participated. They, they found they got 50 to 70 participants per those kinds of sessions. Finally, uh, to increase the ownership and the participation and to help 
support some of what you normally see when people mingle and work together in live events. They uh, supported what we call basically open space or attendee-driven discussions. So they set up a forum where people could suggest topics that they were interested in having, conversations they wanted to have with other people in the organization. And uh, then they dedicated a meeting room to the most popular topics and then just opened those up for people to go ahead and have those conversations in the spaces after the main sessions. So that's like a lightning example of what some people have done for virtual events. I bet we have questions and I bet there are comments about other things that you have seen work well in all virtual events. Yeah, we had a few folks actually that wanted to really learn a little more about virtual networking, kind of uh, the best way to approach that. Uh, what, what would you advise for those that are trying to incorporate that into their events, Alita? Well, I think some of the, um, if anybody's really familiar with liberating structures, there are a couple different ways that you can do uh, virtual networking. Some you can do live. So if you're using something like Zoom that supports um, breakout sessions, and some of the other tools also support breakout sessions, you can do things like randomly pair up folks in uh, a video conference and have them all discuss a topic, right? So. So like our uh, opening chat topic where we asked everybody what they're more grateful for right now, that's a fabulous way to get a conversation going with a, a group there. Outside of the synchronous kinds of networking like that, so people actually talking live to one another, you can also um, set up online uh, social networking tools. And there are lots and lots and lots of software vendors out there who give you event private uh, networks where people can post their profile and you know comment on each other and talk about things they're interested in. So things like that are, are also very useful. I love virtual happy hours, Carrie. Great point. And yeah, and a, a last, few other folks um, were all kinds of things. Yeah. A few folks were asking about sponsorships as well. That's something obviously as we're looking to kind of hold on to as much revenue as possible from an event. How, how what have you found is helpful on that front? Um, on the sponsorship thing, uh, you have the opportunity for people to present, right? And you don't have the same kind of limitations you had on, um, on space and room. So anytime you get a sponsor who can present, that's an opportunity to go ahead and have a revenue, oper revenue there. Uh, the other thing that we have seen work really nicely for folks who are vendors is um, scheduled appointments with vendors. So you can exactly, as Kristen's saying, vendor attending matchmaking sessions. So they have, uh, you set up a thing where people can schedule a five to 10 minute appointment with the, the folks who are in your vendor list. And then they get these private one-on-one -on -one conversations like they would when walking a floor. And uh, it's a great privilege for your vendors and your sponsors to be there where folks want to talk to them. There were a couple questions I saw earlier also about timing, um, about you know whether you take your, your full day event and you um, make that in-person event a full day virtual event. Um, I just wanna point out on, if it's something like this scenario that we're talking about where it's a conference, that's, a, that's something you can do because people will uh, come and go as they, as they feel that they can. They, they monitor their own energy. 
if it's something where you need to have people stay attending all day long, you really want to reschedule that and rethink that one. Okay. Are there any final questions? Or I think we're just about at the end of our time today, which means we're ready for takeaways and wrap-ups. So I'd be curious to hear from you in the audience. What is one tip either from Nancy and I or from our uh, hosts or from the other people you've engaged with in the chat that you are most likely to try? Virtual breakout rooms, all of them. Alex, I see so many opportunities for you guys to put out some fabulous um, software lists. Excellent. Swag. I love the idea of swag and yoga breaks. Fabulous. <laughs> So, okay, that's, I just want to say I love all the questions or comments. I wish we had all had more time and um, over back to you, Alex. Yeah, thanks so much, Nancy and Elise, and so much great material, great ideas to jump off from. Obviously, any one of these topics we could probably spend an hour digging into, and we hope to uh, add a few more webcasts in the coming weeks that we're going to be hosting to address those. But in the meantime, hopefully everyone that was listening got a lot of great uh, ideas, and we will be sharing this will be available on demand at the same link that you use to log in today, uh, so you can uh, use that or share it with others, and uh, the chat will be sharing that uh, info as well. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for joining us, and thanks for having us. Take care. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us, and check back for new episodes soon.